Welcome to the African History Network show. It is Monday, November 15, 2021, and we are live. Some of you who were listening to 910 AM Superstation WFDF, uh, the previous show, Brenda Hill's show, you heard me on Brenda Hill's show. And the second hour, dealing with some history and answering some questions that came up from the first time I was on her show uh, in the month of October. Okay. So she's going to bring me back next month to uh, answer some more questions dealing with history. And we broadcasted uh, my segment of the show right here on our Facebook fan page, the African history network and my YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep also. So you can go back and watch that. All right. So today was day seven in the McMichael uh, Bryan murder trial. Okay. The day was day seven and uh, defense attorney, Kevin Goff, once again, tried to uh, have a ban, basically a ban on African-American pastors um, that Reverend Jesse Jackson showed up at trial today. We know that Reverend Jackson's name was uh, invoked uh, last week, Thursday, and it wasn't Reverend Jackson who was uh, in the court. It was uh, Reverend, uh, William, uh, Reverend uh, William Barber um, after... Uh, Reverend Al Sharpton was there and defense attorney Kevin Goff mentioned Reverend Jackson's name, but it was another light skinned African-American pastor with uh, wavy hair. It wasn't uh, Reverend Jesse Jackson, but Reverend Jackson showed up in court today and defense attorney Goff wanted him ejected. So this is a situation where he knows his client is in deep trouble and he's trying to distract. Okay. This is what you're dealing with. He knows his client is in deep trouble and he's trying to distract. So we'll talk a little bit about what happened uh, in court today. Um, and then also on Sunday show, um, I ran out of time while we were on the air here. I was going to play the interview that uh, Representative James Clyburn did with uh, Charles Blow on uh, Prime on the Black News Channel. And one of the things Representative James Clyburn was talking about was the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill. You know, the infrastructure bill was signed into law today and um, Representative James Clyburn was talking about how it will positively impact the African-American community. And, you know, we've been dealing with infrastructure, the infrastructure bill and a uh, and the history of racism involved in infrastructure, especially uh, the, the uh, Federal Highway Act of 1952 and 56 that drove uh, 41,000 miles of interstate highways all across the country. They ran through African-American communities. And we talked about um Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg's uh, comments uh, talking about a history of racism when it comes to uh, infrastructure and how the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill, uh, a portion of that is going to address that. Now, we need more funding to address that, but this is a start towards that. Whereas you have some people who don't even want to acknowledge that this problem exists. You have many Republicans who don't want to acknowledge this problem exists when it comes to um, racism and infrastructure. Or they say, well, that was a long time ago. 
that was in the 1920s or what have you, the 30s. That doesn't have anything to do with today. Okay, that's not true. All right, so uh, we'll share that uh, interview, and then we'll talk a little bit more about Plessy versus Ferguson. Yesterday, we dealt with um, the uh, state board in Louisiana is recommending a pardon for Homer Plessy, who was the plaintiff in the 896 U.S. Supreme Court case of Plessy versus Ferguson, which um, legalized separate but equal and legalized the Jim Crow laws. Um, so today we'll, we'll give some background information on that U.S. Supreme Court case. We'll talk a little bit about that. Um, we'll give a little background information on uh, Plessy versus Ferguson. Okay. Now, on the African History Network show, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's correct your own behavior, what you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. Uh, visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can register for the online courses I teach on Saturdays and Sundays um, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. And then also ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach you in school. So I teach those on Sundays. Um, we have the information at our website. It's a, it, they're both 10 week online courses. We do the sessions live 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can go back and watch them anytime. Okay, and um, even after the 10-week online course is over with, you, you can still watch the full class. All right. Now, I, I want to jump into uh, this here, and uh, we'll go to clip one when we come back from the break, Shakita. Um, in court today, another crazy day in court, in the Michael Bryan murder trial, in the death of Ahmaud Arbery, uh, New York Times is reporting judge rejects call for mistrial in case against men accused of, of killing Arbery. One defense lawyer objected to the Reverend Jesse Jackson's presence in court. Another said jurors looked sympathetically at Ahmaud Arbery's mother as she sobbed at the sight of her son's photo. OK, so what do you now? I mean, OK, this is a this is a mother who's looking at the man responsible. One, she's looking at the man who killed her son and the three men who were responsible for her son's death, who chased him down for five minutes. So what do you think is going to happen if she sees a, 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 a photo of her dead son? Of course, she's going to cry. The Kyle Rittenhouse's mother was sitting up in court crying when he was fake crying on the witness stand. She's sitting up crying. So, and he's alive. Okay. He killed two people. And, and shot a third, but he's alive. So, of course, uh, Wanda Cooper is, is, is going to cry when you show a photo of her dead son. Okay? He was lynched. It was a modern-day lynching. They hunted him down, and he was shot and killed. Of course she's going to cry. We'll deal with this on the other side of the break. This to the African History Network show. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few Kwanzaa is coming and the KwanzaaShop.com has all of your Kwanzaa needs. Order your Kwanzaa set today, which includes a Kanara, candles, a mat, a cup, the African-American flag, 
and a basket. Visit thekwanzashop.com, thekwanzashop.com. They have Kanara sets, which include a candle holder, candles, a mat, and a cup. Kwanzaa is December 26th through January the 1st. Add the early bird discount code for 10% off your order placed before November 28th. Visit thekwanzashop.com and place your order today. Thekwanzashop.com has all of your Kwanzaa needs to celebrate this African-American Pan-African holiday. Thekwanzashop.com Black on Purpose Television Network. Yes, Black on Purpose Television Network. All black, all positive, all the time. The largest black-owned streaming television network in the world. Bringing our people together worldwide. Controlling our messages, our stories, our way. Black TV, the way it should be. Black music, black history, and more. 30 plus channels, thousands of shows. Black on Purpose Television Network, subscribe now. In the African History Network show, we deal with current events of history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Unfortunately, many people confuse what racism is. Racism is a power structure. It was laws and policies that put us in this predicament. It's going to be laws and policies that take us out. So when you control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts, you control the compass of his or her actions because the mind can't do what people really doesn't know. We have it all on 910 AM Superstation. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM Superstation, WFDF. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. It is Monday, November 15th, 2021, and we are live. We're also broadcasting on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network, and our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P. And we're broadcasting on 910 AM Superstation, WFDF's uh, Facebook page also. Okay, so right before the break, we were talking about... um, what happened in court today, day seven of the Michael uh, Bryan murder trial uh, in the uh, killing of Ahmaud Arbery. Uh, when we look at this clip, we're going to go to clip one here in just a second, Shakita. When we look at when we look at this uh, piece here from the New York Times, a judge rejects call for mistrial uh, in case against men accused of, ki- of killing Arbery. Now, this is uh, defense attorney Kevin Goff, who keeps targeting African-American pastors, keeps targeting African-American pastors. This is Mr. We don't want any more black pastors in here. This is him. He's a defense attorney for William uh, Bryan. Now, Uh, today in court, uh, lawyers for the three uh, white Georgia men on trial for the murder of Ahmad Arbery tried unsuccessfully on Monday to convince a judge to declare a mistrial. Tried unsuccessfully on Monday to convince uh, Judge Wamsley to declare a mistrial with one of the lawyers reiterating his argument that prominent African-American pastors 
should not be allowed in the courtroom because they unfairly influenced the jury. Okay, so um, Reverend Jesse Jackson was sitting there today, just quiet, wasn't intimidating anybody. Uh, just sitting there. Reverend Sharpton uh, last week was on the back row. It was either Wednesday or Thursday last week. He was sitting on the back row. He was invited by the father of Ahmaud Arbery. Not bothering, any, not bothering anybody. Not trying to intimidate anybody. Anything like that. They weren't chasing anybody down for five minutes, chasing them with guns, anything like that. Okay? He's just sitting there, Jackson, Reverend Jackson, just sitting there just like everybody else. Quietly, he wasn't he wasn't there preaching. He was there in support of the family. Asked by the Ahmad's father to uh to come. Now, defense attorney Kevin Goff, who represents the defendant William Bryan, who's 52 years old, unleashed a wave of condemnation last week when he declared that, quote, we don't want any more black pastors coming in here. End quote, after Reverend Al Sharpton spent a day observing the trial in the courtroom's public gallery. Okay, the courtrooms are public, right? The courtrooms are public. So as long as you're not causing a disruption and, you know, things like that, you can attend. Now, after uh, the Reverend Al Sharpton spent a day observing the trial in the courtroom's public gallery, on Monday, November 15th, the Reverend Jesse Jackson came to the courtroom and sat between Mr. Arbery's, uh, Ahmad Arbery's parents, prompting a second effort from defense attorney Goff to ban the prominent civil rights leaders from the proceedings. Now, it was interesting because I, I saw Judge Wamsley, um, I saw Judge Wamsley uh, after defense attorney Goff uh, made his motion, okay, Judge Wamsey said he did not know Reverend Jackson was in the courtroom until Kevin Goff made a made a big deal out of it. Reverend Jackson just sitting in the back, just quiet. He said he didn't even know Reverend Jackson was in the courtroom. So this prompted a second effort by defense attorney Goff to ban the prominent civil rights leaders from the proceedings. Kevin Goff stood up today. Now the, the jury um, wasn't in the courtroom to hear this but he said which pastor is next is reverend Raphael warnock who's now senator Raphael warnock of georgia is is Raphael warnock going to be the next person appearing we don't know okay he said uh, quote your honor i would submit with all respect to the reverend uh jesse jackson that this is no different than bringing this is no different than bringing in police officers or uniformed prison guards in a small town where a young black man has been accused of assaulting a law enforcement officer or corrections officer. OK, well, we know that in cases like this and Reverend Sharpton has talked about this before. Uh, when you have police on trial for shooting somebody or what, what, whatever it is, we know oftentimes police show up in support. And, and sit in the courtroom. It's, it's a public courtroom. Okay? So, once again, you have a targeting of African-American pastors, and they're just sitting there 
uh, quietly observing, and they have a right to do that. I want to go to uh, now Kevin Goff's statements. We're going to go to clip one here in just a second, Shakita. Kevin Goff's statements, defense attorney statements, have inspired a rally scheduled for Thursday um, in which more than 100 African-American pastors are planning to join Reverend Al Sharpton and the Ahmad Arbery family in forming a, quote, wall of prayer, end quote, a, a wall of prayer in front of the courthouse in Glenn County, Georgia. In a statement announcing the rally, Reverend Al Sharpton said, Kevin Goff's, uh, Mr. Goff's words demonstrated, quote, basic bias, the same bias that killed Ahmad Arbery, end quote. Basic bias, the same bias that killed Ahmad Arbery. All right, I want to go to this uh, clip here. This is um, from um, Making the Case with Yodit Tawold on the Black News Channel, uh, dealing with what took place in court today. Let's go to clip one, Shakita. In the murder trial for the men charged with killing Ahmad Arbery is underway. Once again, Kevin Goff, the attorney representing William Roddy Bryan, took center stage. He asked the judge to remove Reverend Jesse Jackson from the courtroom and asked for a mistrial again. BNC Trey Clark is in Brunswick following today's development. In just a few days, hundreds of black ministers from all across the country will be right here in Brunswick, Georgia. But perhaps the most prominent one of them all is already here, Reverend Jesse Jackson. One of the defense attorneys said, with all due respect, he does not want to see Reverend Jackson in the courtroom. And this is not the first time that same attorney has targeted a black minister. We would ask this court. Defense attorney Kevin Goff started the morning off asking if bailiffs can identify and keep track of everyone from the public coming into the courtroom. My understanding in a case like this, that would be best practice. And we're asking the court to do that. If somebody is uh, uh, in the gallery here as a member of the public, that's their right to be here. And I'm not going to track individual members of the public who come in and out of this courtroom. Judge Timothy Wamsley has denied almost every motion Golf has presented. Last week, Golf was called racist after he stood up in court and said this. We don't want any more black pastors coming in here. Goff was bothered after learning Reverend Al Sharpton was in the courtroom sitting with Ahmad Arbery's family. He asked for a total ban on black pastors. Goff argued their presence intimidates jurors. When Goff spotted civil rights icon Reverend Jesse Jackson sitting with Arbery's mother, he pushed to have Reverend Jackson removed immediately. There is no reason for these prominent icons in the civil rights movement to be here. I'm not even aware that Reverend Jackson was in the courtroom until you started your motion. At this point, I'm not exactly sure what you're doing. Uh, I have already ruled on this court's position with regard to the gallery. Another motion denied, but Goff had one more complaint about Reverend Jackson. I would note that the Reverend Jesse Jackson's mask is down below his nose. All of the defense attorneys asked the judge to declare a mistrial. They claimed George heard Arbery's mother crying after a picture of her son was shown in court. And they say jurors could see Reverend Jackson consoling her. We're in a very difficult position now with this jury to have seen and heard and felt that. But again, motion for mistrial denied. Multiple investigators and Ahmaud Arbery's neighbor testified in court on day seven of testimony. 
Gregory and Travis McMichael, along with William Bryan, are on trial for multiple charges, including murder. Arbery's family say he was out jogging when he was killed February 23, 2020. Defense attorneys say Travis McMichael shot and killed Arbery in self-defense, as all three men claim they were trying to make a citizen's arrest. Reverend Jackson will be here in town all week long, but it's unclear if he plans to attend court every day. Meanwhile, during discussion of one of those motions, Judge Wamsley said to Kevin Goff that he actually thought some of what he said last week in reference to Reverend Al Sharpton, he found his comments to be reprehensible. Meanwhile, the most emotional moment of the day came when the weapon that was used to kill Ahmad Arbery was held up in court, a 12-gauge Remington shotgun. Ahmaud Arbery's parents were visibly upset. His father, Marcus Arbery Sr., got up and left the courtroom. In Brunswick, Georgia, I'm Dre Clark for Making the Case. My attorneys, Paul Henderson and Sue Ann Robinson, are still with me. All right, guys, the judge denied all of Goff's requests today. But let's listen to his explaining uh, his reasons for excluding black pastors like Reverend Jesse Jackson from the courtroom. The Arbery family is giving up seats uh, in the public gallery so that these gentlemen may be present. With all due respect, Your Honor, the seats in the public gallery of a courtroom are not like courtside seats at a Lakers game. There are no First Amendment rights in the public gallery of a courtroom. There is no standing of any particular individual to be present in the public gallery of a courtroom. And there is no reason for these prominent icons in the civil rights movement to be here. Mr. at this point, I'm not exactly sure what you're doing. Uh, I have already ruled on this court's position with regard to the gallery. And um, with all candor, I was not even aware that Reverend Jackson was in the courtroom. Okay, pause it right there, Shakita. We'll pick this up on the other side of the break. You listen to the African History Network show. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Kwanzaa is coming and the KwanzaaShop.com has all of your Kwanzaa needs. Order your Kwanzaa set today, which includes a Kanara, candles, a mat, a cup, the African-American flag, and a basket. Visit the KwanzaaShop.com, the KwanzaaShop.com. They have Kanara sets, which include a candle holder, candles, a mat, and a cup. Kwanzaa is December 26th through January the 1st. Add the early bird discount code for 10% off your order placed before November 28th. Visit the KwanzaaShop.com and place your order today. The KwanzaaShop.com has all of your Kwanzaa needs to celebrate this African-American Pan-African holiday. The KwanzaaShop.com. Gain knowledge in minutes from insightful summaries of progressive and socially conscious books. Blacklisted gives you access to curated content that'll satisfy your curiosity to learn and understand different perspectives. Empower yourself through inspirational and actionable ideas. It's easy to read or listen to on the go. Blacklisted. Empower yourself. Start your free trial today. 
910, the Superstation, Detroit's only African-American talk radio. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM Superstation. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. If you want me to do a presentation for your group or organization, we know African-American History Month is coming up. Dr. King Day uh, is coming up as well. Uh, Kwanzaa, Christmas, etc. Um Email me at ahnshow at africanhistorynetwork.com, ahnshow at africanhistorynetwork.com. If you want me to um, do a presentation for your group or organization, your church, etc. cetera, uh, if you want me to be on a panel discussion, what have you, ahnshow at africanhistorynetwork.com. You can also visit our website, africanhistorynetwork.com, and email me um, through the website. Okay, so... Right before the break, we were giving an update on what took place in court today, day number seven in the in the McMichael Bryan murder trial and the murder of Ahmad Arbery. Uh let's go back to the clip, Shakita. And so you started your motion. Uh, I have indicated the court's position. The court's position hasn't changed. Uh at this point. It's almost as if you're just trying to continue this um, uh, for purposes other than just bringing it to the court's attention. Um, so, Anne, is, is Goff bringing more attention to the people in the gallery than the public figures themselves? I mean, who are probably wearing face masks, making it that much harder to be recognized. I mean, Walmsley is not perfect, but he is not here for the dog whistles described, you know, disguised as legal motions. He's like, God, I'm not here for this, okay? Do not come for these people unless they send for you, okay? Reverend Jackson is my own business. You do what you're supposed to do. Focus on your client. I mean, that's basically what he said in a calm, cool, and appropriate, like, manner under the setting. It's important to note, he didn't yell, he didn't scream, he didn't turn red in the face. He just said, listen, I see you. You need to chill out. And that's the way he's been running the entire case. And I'm not saying he's perfect, but he keeps on to the cookout. If he pulls up, I'm going to let him get a chicken or something like that. <laughs> I, I see the subtle shade that you're throwing uh, for the uh, judge in Kenosha. Paul, your thoughts? I mean, really, again, we're talking about golf, and I'm so irritated with him with his racist, with his distracting to the jury, with his non-relevant, non-legal distractions to the court and to the jury. I mean, him saying and articulating that he doesn't want to see the pastors, you know what we don't want to see? His defendant. We didn't want to see them do that modern-day lynching that we all had to watch, and that's what we are here in the courtroom for. This is just another distraction for him to talk about anything other than what his defendant did and what's on that videotape that we all saw, which was a murder. He's talking about there are best practices which indicate that people like this shouldn't be in the courtroom. Best practices for who, sir? It's, it's just ludicrous that we're having this conversation about his comments that are so clearly designed to distract all of us from holding those three defendants accountable for the murder that we all saw on videotape. And so let's just proceed with that. I'm grateful for the judge and how he made this ruling and shutting this all down. And let's just try and see where this jury can go in terms of holding accountability for the rest of us. 
But that's exactly why he's making these arguments, in my opinion, is to try and make a record to distract the court or distract the jury from focusing on the evidence. And it's funny that um, Goff himself didn't even know that Reverend Al Sharpton was in the courtroom until the day after, um, which speaks to the point again that the jury probably doesn't know who these people are either. Um, all right, so let's take a, uh, a look at Goff's request for a mistrial. Here's a clip of him making the request yet again. We contend that the atmosphere of the trial was inside and outside the courtroom. At this point, it has deprived Mr. Bryan of the right to a fair trial. In extraordinary cases like this, additional steps have to be taken. We have not secured the front of this courthouse. The Transformative Justice Coalition still flies their banner virtually every day outside in what should be protected grounds. We have had numerous instances during jury, several instances during jury selection of nonverbal communications between the victim's family and jurors or from jurors to the victim's family. Here's, here's my, I'm gonna play devil's advocate really quick because we only have two minutes left, but I, I wanna get your thoughts. Let's just say that Reverend Al Sharpton does show up in court. He's pretty recognizable. The jurors look at him, they see him. And given how um, they've expressed, I don't know how many on the jury actually did during jury selection, but they've expressed concern about serving on this jury, about their safety, about their family safety. Um, if this uh, verdict doesn't come out the way the public wants it to, um, then, they're, then they're fearful. So when they see figures like Reverend Al Sharpton, they understand the how big this case actually is. So can we make this argument that maybe Goff is, is somewhat right in terms of the pressure that these jurors already feel, and then on top of that, seeing figures like, like Reverend Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson in, in the gallery? Joanne? The National Guard is out there. The National Guard is out here, and Goff is worried about one man. He's worried about Reverend Reverend, that's what he's worried about, and the National Guard is out here. I would be, he should be making a motion saying, Judge, can we call the feds and tell them to send the National Guard home? That is intimidating the jury. But he's worrying about the black pastors. Okay, guys, do your thing. Do your thing. Paul, really quick. Last word. Okay, let's just give it a legal analysis that all of the factors that he's talking about are conditional. None of them have been proven, and he's not even making the argument indicating that the factors that he's alluding to are intentionally or actually interfering with the judges, with the judges or the jury's role in this case. So absolutely a waste of time and meaningless. They won't even be good standards for appeal. He should let it go and move on to focusing on the evidence. Criminal Defense Attorney Sue Ann Robinson and Veteran Prosecutor and BNC Legal Contributor Paul Henderson. Thank you guys for joining me tonight. Okay, pause it right there, Shakita. Thanks. Okay, so that's a brief recap of what happened uh, in court today. Re read the article. Now, that's from uh, the Black News Channel, uh, November 15, 2021. Your Dieter Wald show um, making the case. Look at, uh, let's go back to this article here. Uh, we're going to go to clip uh, two in just a second, Shakita. Um, this one here from New York Times. Let's look at this one more time. Then we'll talk about this some more tomorrow's show. 
Judge rejects call for mistrial in case against men accused of killing Arbery. Now, these are stunts that um, Kevin Goff is, is pulling. And um, he may try to, he, um, after if they're convicted, then he may try to call for a new trial, what have you, try to overturn the verdict and say, hey, look at all these objections, the judge overruled, et cetera. Um, okay. So, okay, read the rest of that here. It talks about um, mistrial. We'll talk about this some more. It talks about the request for a mistrial. We'll talk about this some more tomorrow. Uh, the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill was signed today. You know, we've been talking about that a lot here on the show. Uh, we've been dealing with a history of uh, racism when it comes to infrastructure and the building of highways and um, the different things like this. We, we talked about the, there was an article from, um, there was an article from uh, MSNBC that dealt with comments from Secretary Buttigieg uh, also from uh, last Monday on the 8th, November 8th in the, uh, the White House press uh, briefing. Now, if we look here, um, let's go, we're going to go to clip two here. We ran out of time on yesterday's show while we were on the air. I want to play this clip. This is from uh, prime, This is from November 10th, uh, Wednesday, November 10th, 2021. This is Representative James Clyburn. Uh, he was on Prime with uh, Charles Blow on the Black News Channel. And he's talking about the infrastructure bill and how it will help African-Americans. Let's go to this clip. President Biden made the first stop today in Baltimore on his national tour to promote his infrastructure plan. He's scheduled to sign the bill into law on Monday. The president said his plan would improve the transportation of products and supplies across the country, easing prices for consumers while adding unionized jobs. While Democrats celebrate the passage of, of the infrastructure bill, questions remain about whether Build Back Better will also pass. Earlier today, I had the opportunity to speak with Representative Jim Clyburn about that and the current status of the George Floyd Policing Act. Here's what he said. Democrats have something to celebrate. You have just passed the infrastructure bill that Biden put part as part one of his kind of project for America. But Biden is in a bit of trouble. Uh, latest polls show his approval rating is now down to 38 percent. It is the lowest at this point in his pre uh, presidency of any modern president except Donald Trump. What do you think passing the infrastructure bill will do for Democrats and for Biden himself uh, in terms of the public perception of them? And what does this low approval rating pretend for the hard road ahead for the second piece of his agenda, which is the Build Back Better plan? Well, uh, thank you very much for having me. First of all, uh, Build Back Better is the third piece. This is the second piece. Exactly. The first piece was the American Rescue Act. Exactly. And we passed that bill. Uh, and that bill uh, rescued families. That bill 
cut tax on people, uh, families, the children. Uh, it didn't do anything else. Getting over half of the children out of poverty is a big deal. Now, it may not be a big deal for people uh, who don't have uh, to worry about health care uh, and getting their children uh, their certain items for school, etc. But that was the first thing. This was the second thing. Now, the reason you're saying it's the first thing rather than the second thing is because we did not message the American Rescue Act uh, properly. And I, I fail to understand that because Joe Biden has often uh, said one of the reasons that things went wrong with the Affordable Care Act is they didn't go out and tell people what we had done. Okay, we'll pause it right there. That's the same thing I said. Now, early on, the, the American Rescue Plan, and I talked about this from Roland Martin and Filtered, um, last Friday or Friday before last one of them, the American rescue plan, the $1.9 trillion American rescue plan that no Republicans in the house or the Senate voted for that passed in March, 2021, less than two months after the trader in chief Benedict Donald was evicted out of the white house early on about the first month or two, they uh, uh, Biden did a victory tour and they were touting the benefits of it. But then that died down. They need to keep messaging about the the bill, especially after different parts are rolled out. So people understand where these things are coming from, where that money that shows up in that bank account, the earned child tax credit, where that's coming from. And that came from Democrats and Biden. No Republicans voted for the bill in the House or the Senate. We'll continue this on the other side of the break. This is the African History Network show on Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Kwanzaa is coming and the KwanzaaShop.com has all of your Kwanzaa needs. Order your Kwanzaa set today, which includes a Kanara, candles, a mat, a cup, the African-American flag, and a basket. Visit the KwanzaaShop.com, the KwanzaaShop.com. They have Kanara sets, which include a candle holder, candles, a mat, and a cup. Kwanzaa is December 26th through January the 1st. Add the early bird discount code for 10% off your order placed before November 28th. Visit the KwanzaaShop.com and place your order today. The KwanzaaShop.com has all of your Kwanzaa needs to celebrate this African-American Pan-African holiday. The KwanzaaShop.com Hi, I'm Joel Wilson, President and CEO of JCW Computer Consulting LLC, a technology implementation firm with over 20 years of satisfying customers. We offer a full spectrum of industry top-tier branded services. We are an authorized partner or reseller for Lenovo, Zoom, T-Mobile, Microsoft 365, and Surface tablets, Google Workspace, Acer, Asus, Samsung, PCmatic security software, and many more. Our online store features laptops, Chromebooks, computers, printers, accessories, and software. Businesses, take advantage of our free one-hour Zoom tech consultation and know we offer top nationwide high-speed internet service providers, voice over IP, and cellular phone services. Home users, don't miss our current in-stock Chromebook inventory. Please visit us at jcwcc.com or call 215-879-6701. 
Welcome back to the African History Network show. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. Okay, um, right before the break, I was sharing this uh, sharing this interview from November 10th, Wednesday, November 10th, from uh, Prime with Charles Blow on the Black News Channel. He's speaking with Representative James Clyburn uh, about the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill. Uh, we ran out of time on yesterday's show while we were on 9, 10 a.m., to play this, and he also talks about the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. Let's go back to this clip. Well, we just did not tell people what we did with the American Rescue Act. I hope we don't make the same mistake with this bill. It's a big bill, and it's a good bill. $65 billion for, uh, for broadband by itself would make this bill worth doing. And to look at all the roads and the bridges and the water and the sewers and uh, the other uh, ports and rails improvements that, that's going to occur all over Columbia, South Carolina. Today, people are talking about the fact that when this bill passed, the governor announced himself, I now have the money to fix malfunction junction that's been a plague on the Columbia citizens for almost 30 years. So he is doing a message. we got a message, too. And I believe you see these numbers turn around if we do that. But if you sit back like the did with the Affordable Care Act, we lost 63 seats, Democrats did, over the Affordable Care Act because we didn't bother to tell people what we had done. And we came back eight years later and ran on the Affordable Care Act and won the majority back. That's what it's going to take. Okay. All right, uh, it will keep going when that cues back up. Okay, so, and this is something that I've said, you have to have constant messaging. You have to have constant messaging because a lot of people don't understand these bills. They're preoccupied with everyday life. Then you have some people that just don't follow politics. They're just dumb as hell. And, 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 and they may comment on politics, but don't follow it or what have you put out videos things simple Simon ass nonsense stuff like that so you have to constantly message to explain to people what what's in the bill how it will help them so when they see certain things happening because one of the things that happened with the american rescue plan is even though no republicans in the house or the senate voted for the bill you have republicans in their districts trying to take credit for the bill but none of them voted for the bill all you have to do is go to congress.gov and at congress.gov you can track all these bills okay and you can uh see what's in the bill and you can see who voted for the bill congress.gov and you see no republicans voted for the american rescue plan in the house or the senate even though it greatly benefited their it greatly benefited people in their in their districts and there's 710,000 people in the congressional district based upon the census results of uh, the 2010 census results. And then is, is benefiting people all across the country in these states. Okay. All right. Let's go back to this clip. So willing to go ahead and take a vote on it without getting absolute assurances from moderates that they vote for the Build Back Better plan. Now, Manchin is signaling with the, you know, the new news about the rise in inflation that that is also a concern to him. They've already put it off because they say they cannot take a vote on a good conscience without getting a new scoring 
from the TBO. The TBO is basically saying that they cannot put, tell us when they can provide it. It could be weeks away. Where do you think things stand on the Build Back Better plan? Well, the Build Back Better plan has to pass the House first. First things first. And Joe Manchin is not in the House. So the progressives uh, worked with the moderates uh, and the Congressional Black Caucus with the Congressional Hispanic Caucus, the Asian Pacific Islanders. We got eight distinct groups in our caucus that we have to work with, uh, the new dams. All of these people work together to find common ground. We can only lose four votes in the House. And so what we had to do is each group had to get outside of this comfort zone. I met with the moderates. And I plead with them, get outside of your comfort zone so we can pass them. One hour later, I met with the Congressional Black Caucus and pleaded with them, get outside of your comfort zone. I'm very comfortable with the way you are doing it your way. We need to find common ground. So, and we all did. So the progressives give up something, the moderates give up something, and that's what we're going to do to pass the bill in the House. Now, in the House, the bill gets to the Senate. Then I hope my Democrats in the Senate, I hope that the White House will get engaged. I hope that these numbers that I have already seen on Build Back Better that says, uh, some say that it will have $600 billion in deficit reduction. Another one says it might have $1.2 trillion in deficit reduction. I don't know what it's going to be, but all of us are going to have to trust somebody. I'm not a CBO scorer. And not is anybody else in the House or the Senate. So right. if these people tell you that that's what it's going to be, we've been relying on them ever since I've been in the Congress. So why won't we rely on them this right. time? So, Congressman, I would like to ask you if you are happy with the Build Back Better plan and where the numbers landed. Many of the, the things that black people really, really cared about and were promised to them got cut back substantially. And this is the thing that other people cared about. I got cut back substantially in order to get the moderates on board. Are you happy with where that bill landed? We cut back. We did not cut out. And that's where I think we have to really focus attention. It's like I told my caucus when I met with them, I used to work for Southern Governor. And one time we gave speeches at the same time in different places, and we were saying what turned out to be the essay. I went in to offer my resignation, and the governor said to me, look at that glass on the table. It's half full of water. Because of your experiences, it's half empty. Because of my experiences, it's half full. Go back to your office and let's see what we can do to fill the glass up. So that's what we are trying to do here. These goals are 10-year goals. And if it takes 10 years uh, for something to start, let's cut it back and do it for two years and see where we stand after two years. So we didn't cut things out, we cut them back. And so I think it would be, that's why we ought to be using numbers. Because anytime you get a number, it's a 10 year number. And some of these things we may not need to do beyond two years. So that to me is what the public has to understand. I'm gonna do everything I can to get the public to understand that's what we've done here. Now Charles, you remember uh, two or three weeks ago, Every time I turned on my TV, somebody was yelling, you just cut $30 billion out of the, from the HBCUs. Nothing happened like that. $30 billion was cut from the projection 
of 40 billion uh, that the president said he was going to do over a four-year period. So we said, this is let's do it one fourth of it. All right, we'll continue this uh, uh, on tomorrow's show. And even the $45 billion, if you actually go look at the original article from Associated Press, which was really misreported, it was $45 billion for HBCUs and MSIs, which means minority-serving institutions, and there are over 600 institutions when you add in MSIs. There are only 101 HBCUs, and that was $45 billion over 10 years. That wasn't $45 billion for HBCUs. It's more nonsense and more misreporting. OK, we'll talk about this uh, uh, on tomorrow's show. Um, th- those watching on Facebook and YouTube, keep watching. We'll keep uh, going for a couple more minutes. We'll talk a little bit about Plessy versus Ferguson, 1896 U.S. Supreme Court case. And uh, we'll talk about that some more on tomorrow's show as well. All right. Uh, visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Remember, right now is correct your own behavior. It's not over till we win Wakanda forever. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. All right, stand by. Okay, if you like this type of information, you can support us. Uh, dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. Paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. All right. And see, a lot of the, a lot of the news sources that target African Americans or either owned by African Americans, like The Root, which, which is owned by a Hispanic company. Latino company last time I checked unless they were sold again, but it targets African-Americans. There was misreporting there because when you, I read, read just a couple articles from the root that talked about the, H, the HBCU money. They didn't, they didn't say that HBCUs have gotten $4.7 billion this year. They've gotten that from the federal government, from the white house. They got it from the department of education. And it was also in um, coronavirus bills like the American rescue plan total of 4.7 billion this year they've never gotten that type of money but what a lot of publications would do is they would cite the associated press or cite the article from newsweek and then it'll say 45 billion dollars for hbcus and msis then as they go through the rest of the article in what they're in, in what the african-american owned or targeted publication is actually writing Instead of saying $45 billion for HBCUs and MSIs, they would then say $45 billion for HBCUs. It was never for 40, it was never $45 billion for HBCUs. And most of the time they didn't explain that that projection was over 10 years, not one year. So it was a whole lot of just nonsensical misreporting and even the way that that information was disseminated. Okay. Um, and one of the things I do when I go through and read these articles, and I monitor about 35 different news sources on a daily basis, I go back and read the source article that they're citing. There have been times where I contacted the writer of the article and told him, you're citing the source article incorrectly. Because I go through and look at look at those things, and I, I know what to look for. I've been doing this a long time. I know what to look for. And, 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 and I look for how they're misreporting was actually in the source article that they're citing. Okay. Plessy versus Ferguson. We'll talk some more about the infrastructure bill on tomorrow's show. Uh, you can read this piece here from uh, NBC News. 
uh, Biden signs infrastructure bill marking victory in hard fought uh, uh, legislative uh, battle. OK, uh, you can read this here. We're going to talk about this uh, some more on uh, tomorrow's show. The act will direct billions of dollars towards new construction on roads, bridges, airports and seaports. You also have. Um, what is it, 65, uh, 65 billion when it comes to uh, broadband as well. And that's going to help a lot of rule, a lot of rural America. And um, yeah, 65 billion for broadband, 55 billion for water infrastructure for places like uh, Flint, Michigan. When the uh, Flint water crisis happened, there were, uh, there was a study that came out that showed how there were um, 3,000 other communities across the country that had higher lead levels than Flint, Michigan. Okay. Now with NBC news, I don't know why they keep misreporting this. It's not a $555 billion infrastructure bill. It's a $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill. I don't know why they keep misreporting it. They, they've done this before. I'm going to contact them. They keep doing that. That's, that's not correct. It's a $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill, not a $555 billion infrastructure bill. But anyway, uh, Plessy versus Ferguson, U.S. Supreme Court case. Now, we talked about this um, a little bit on Sunday show because uh, the Louisiana board um, has recommended a, a posthumous pardon for Homer Plessy who was the uh, plaintiff in uh, Plessy versus Ferguson, okay? And this was a U.S. Supreme Court case, 1896, which uh, legalized separate but equal. Um, it now goes to the, the Louisiana Board of Pardons unanimously approved a pardon on Friday, uh, November 12th, uh, according to the Associated Press, sending it to Governor John Bell Edwards, Democrat, for final approval. Okay, and um, he was Homer Plessy was convicted. Okay, uh, not giving up and not moving to the colored section of a, a railroad car. All right. So if we if we look at this case here quickly, and we talk about this in in, in uh, the online class that I teach. Uh, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, All right. So if we look at this case here, um, Plessy versus Ferguson was a landmark 1896 U.S. Supreme Court decision that upheld the constitutionality of racial segregation under the separate but equal doctrine. OK, now 
this past weekend, you know, we we uh, we dealt with in the class. We, we look at some of the state constitutions that are rewritten after uh, Reconstruction ends in 1877, and these state constitutions are codifying white supremacy. And we see um, we see states start to uh, segregate railroad cars and segregate public transportation, things like this, starting in 1881 with Tennessee. Okay, starting in 1881 with Tennessee. Uh, and then we're going to see this lead to um, the 1896 U.S. Supreme Court case. Okay. So, and this is all post-Reconstruction. And, and it's important to understand the Reconstruction era, but also what happens after Reconstruction ends. And what's taking place in the 1880s, 1890s, early 1900s, with the uh, the the segregation laws that are being put in place, but also rewriting the state constitutions, this causes the 1964 Civil Rights Act and 1965 Voting Rights Act to be needed. So, a U.S. Supreme Court decision that upheld the constitutionality of racial segregation under the separate but equal doctrine. Under the separate but equal doctrine. The case stemmed from an 1892 incident in which African-American train passenger Homer Plessy refused to sit in a car for black people, for African-Americans. Now, Homer Plessy, based upon now, this is in Louisiana. And he was from New Orleans. And because of the French background of Louisiana, the French history, we know that was part that was French territory as part of the Louisiana Purchase of 1803. Uh, when the U.S. gets um, 828,000 square miles of land for less than three cents an acre and they get uh, all that, uh, the, the, the Louisiana Purchase basically doubles the territory of the U U.S. They buy all this land from uh, France for about $15 million. Um, Louisiana had a lot of intermixing of the races, okay? And Homer Plessy was a mixed race person and he described himself as seven eighths white. He described himself of being seven eighths white. Now here is a um, picture of uh, Homer Plessy, and you can see how very fair skinned he is. And he could basically pass for white, okay? Um, and yet a lot of people like this in in New Orleans, you know, things like this because of the the French history and the intermixing taking place. Now, um, rejecting Homer Plessy's argument that his constitutional rights were violated, the Supreme Court ruled that a law that, quote, implies merely a, a legal distinction, a law that implies merely a legal distinction between white people and African-Americans was not unconstitutional. The U.S. Supreme Court, 1896 U.S. Supreme Court case, um, ruled that a law that implies merely a distinction between uh, African-Americans and whites is not unconstitutional. Now, as a result, restrictive Jim Crow legislation and separate uh, public accommodations based on race became commonplace. 
okay? But you're going to have um, you. It, it, what, what, what's going to happen is also this is is not just public accommodations; it's also occupations that uh, African Americans can hold. You're going to have discrimination all across the board, especially in these southern states, okay? And so this is 1896. Now, if we go back and we look here at, um, we look here from LOC.gov, we, and we just uh, dealt with this in, in class on Saturday, okay? 1881, Tennessee becomes uh, the first state to uh, segregate railroad passenger cars, 1881, okay? So if we look at this here, uh, 1881 timeline. This is from loc.gov, Library of Congress, uh, Library of Congress official website. Okay, segregation of public transportation. These are things that are taking place after Reconstruction, after the Compromise of 1877, and we're going to see uh, states rewriting their state constitutions, uh, like with Mississippi in 1890. Uh, South Carolina, 1895, Louisiana, 1898, Alabama, 1901. Okay, rewriting the state constitutions to uh, institute poll taxes, literacy tests, uh, sometimes uh, property uh, ownership requirements to be able to vote, things like this. And they're codifying white supremacy in these state constitutions. Before that, we see Tennessee is the first state to segregate railroad cars. That's in 1881. Tennessee is going to be followed by Florida, 1887, Mississippi, 1888, Texas, 1889, Louisiana, 1890, Alabama, Kentucky, Arkansas, and Georgia in 1891, South Carolina in 1898, North Carolina, 1899, Virginia, 1900, Maryland, 1904, Oklahoma comes into the Union in 1907, Oklahoma quickly adopts segregation laws. Oklahoma was a territory before 1907. They become a state in the union in 1907. They quickly adopt segregation laws. So we see th th this and what these Southern states are doing is reversing the gains that African-Americans were making after the civil war ended. Okay. They're reversing this and this is leading, they're reversing this after reconstruction ends. They're going to rewrite state constitutions as well to, to suppress the African, suppress African-Americans and to suppress our vote. And the model for what many of the Southern states adopted is what happened in 1890, uh, the Mississippi state uh, convention in 1890 and that uh, new state constitution is going to be adopted in November of 1890. And it, it's going to be known as the Mississippi plan. The Mississippi plan. We've talked about it here a number of times before. It's going to be known as the Mississippi plan. And um, let's see here. Okay. It's, be, it's, be, it's going to be known as the Mississippi plan and other Southern states are going to adopt uh, similar state constitutions like what Mississippi did. Okay. The state convention was presided over a white, by a white uh a white county judge named solomon saladin calhoun and he put the voting issue bluntly when when talking about why they were there at the state convention 
in Mississippi. He said, let's tell the truth if it burst the bottom of the universe. He said, quote, we came here to exclude the Negro. Nothing short of this will answer. We came here to exclude the Negro. This is at a time when African-Americans were the majority population in Mississippi, just like we were the majority population in South Carolina. And the minority population is passing laws in the state legislature and, and rewriting the state constitutions to suppress African-Americans. So this is all post-Reconstruction. Okay, now, uh, and as I said on Brenda Hill's show, when we look at the 18, when we look at the citizens arrest law that uh, they use as a, as a pretext to chase Ahmaud Arbery, he ends up dead. That law dates back to 1863 when Georgia was a Confederate state, when Georgia was part of the Confederacy. It was a law targeting fugitive runaway slaves in Georgia who were running behind Union lines. Part of repairing the damage of slavery, part of repairing the damage of slavery or what people call reparations. But a lot of people don't understand the concept of reparations. They just talk about monetary reparations. No, you don't understand the damage that was done after slavery ended because you haven't studied the history. Part of repairing the damage of slavery is changing the laws that are still on the books that are a legacy of slavery that are still inflicting harm and damage upon us. It wasn't until May of 2021 that that, that, that citizen's arrest law in Georgia was repealed because of Ahmaud Arbery's death. That law dates back to 1863 when Georgia was part of the Confederacy committing treason against the U.S. and took up arms against the U.S. to maintain slavery. Part of repairing the damage of slavery and the legacy of slavery is not just cash payments, not just cash restitution. It's changing the laws and policies that are still in place, inflicting harm upon us that are a legacy of slavery. This deals with repairing the damage. That's the concept of reparations, repairing the damage or harm of a, of a wrong that was done. This is why you have to have a systems analysis. This is why you need a study to deal with the pervasive long-term harm that's been done by not just 246 years of slavery, but even more importantly, what happened after slavery ended, especially when you study um, the collapse of the Freedmen's Bank in 1874, when you study the failure of the Freedmen's Bureau, U.S. Bureau of Freedmen, Refugees, and Abandoned Lands, which was created by Congress in 1865. And then you study what happens in the Jim Crow era, how all these gangs are reversed and the state, the state constitutions are written to suppress African-Americans. You look at what happened in Louisiana with the Louisiana state constitution of 1898. One of the things that it did was it instituted a 9-3 majority uh, uh, jury, a 9-3 majority jury when it came to felony convictions. In Louisiana, to target African-Americans and to nullify African-Americans sitting on the jury, instead of, if you say like a murder case or some type of felony or something like that, you have a jury of 12 people. Instead of you having to be found guilty by uh, all 12 jurors, based upon their state constitution in Louisiana, if, if it was a 9-3 vote, 
and nine people found you guilty, especially nine white people, and three people found you not guilty, like three African-Americans, because African-Americans in Louisiana could sit on juries. You could still be found guilty. You can still go to prison with a nine free majority vote. That was specifically designed to target African-Americans and to nullify African-American jurors. That is a legacy of slavery. That law went to effect in 1898 in the state constitution. It was revised decades later to a 10-2 majority, but it wasn't changed to a unanimous uh, jury, like 12-0. It wasn't changed to, to a unanimous uh, jury decision until 2018. That's the legacy of slavery. Well, there's state constitutions that still have archaic laws and things like this still on the books, sometimes still being enforced. There was a uh, article from Equal Justice Initiative, EJI.org, that deals with the Louisiana State Constitution, 1898. But if you don't understand this history, you don't know what needs to be changed or you don't even understand that these laws still exist and need to be changed or don't, or don't understand what happened after slavery ended. Okay. And the harm that the laws and policies did that continued to maldistribute wealth, power, resources into the hands of Europeans, but inflicted harm upon African-Americans. Louisiana disenfranchises black voters and jurors. This is from EJI.org, Equal Justice Initiative. On May 12, 1898, the state of Louisiana adopted a new constitution with numerous, uh, new constitution with numerous restrictive provisions intended to exclude African-American men from civic participation. At this time in the U.S., women of all races remained barred from voting while African-American men had recently gained the right to vote under the 14th and 15th Amendments to the U.S. Constitution. The new Louisiana Constitution, however, created a poll tax, literacy test, and, and property ownership requirements and a complex voter registration form all designed and enforced to disproportionately disenfranchise African-American male voters. Um, okay, so then they, I want to get scrolled down. Okay, Grandfather Clause, um, 1898 Grandfather Clause. When the restrictive voting provisions were first proposed for the 1898 Louisiana State Constitution, some white officials expressed uh, concern that the property and liter literacy requirements would also disenfranchise an estimated 25% of the white male population of voting age. In response, lawmakers drafted a grandfather clause, which created an exception for those whose ancestors were registered to vote before 1867. So if you saw the movie Posse, 
with Mario Van Peebles and Melvin Van Peebles uh, and Sally Richardson and things like this, the movie Posse that takes place in 1898 during the Spanish-American War. And these African-American uh, uh, soldiers are deserters from, from the army. And the Spanish-American War was Cuba fighting against Spain for its independence because we know Spain conquered Cuba. That was one of the islands Christopher Columbus conquered. Spain conquered Cuba in 1492. I think it was on his first voyage, 1492. Okay. So 1898, Cuba is fighting against Spain for its independence. Okay. That's the Spanish-American War. The, and and uh, the movie Posse takes place in 1898. And they talk about the grandfather clause. They mention it in the movie. So in response, lawmakers drafted a grandfather clause, which created an exception for those whose ancestors were registered to vote before 1867. So this is to lock out African-Americans from voting and still let poor white people vote. So if your grandfather, prior, uh, before 1867, if your grandfather could vote, that meant you could vote. If your grandfather could not vote before 1867, because in, in, in 1867, okay, that's three years before 1870, which was the 15th Amendment. So they're strategically trying to target African-Americans and lock them out, but not hurt poor white people, not hurt the, the minimize the white population being hurt. So if before 1867, your grandfather couldn't vote because he was a slave, then you can't vote. This was... This was another way for them to get around the 15th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. So this clause enabled many. This call this the grandfather clause enabled many illiterate and poor white men to get around the literacy and property requirements. The grandfather clause African-Americans remain blocked because Louisiana laws before 1867 disenfranchised all African-American men, especially those who were enslaved. This maybe they could pass for white or something. Now, the 1898 Louisiana Constitution also eliminated the requirement of unanimous jury verdicts, allowing as much as a 9-3 split to still stand as a conviction. Because the U.S. Constitution now prevented states from wholly barring black people from jury service, this provision was enacted. Pay attention to this. This provision, this 9-3 majority split was enacted to render small numbers of African-American jurors inconsequential. They wrote this into the state constitution in Louisiana. So it stayed like that for decades. Then it was changed to a 10-2 majority. And it wasn't the, the non-unanimous jury rule remained in effect for more than a century until Louisiana voters approved a constitutional amendment to abolish it in November 2018. That's just three years ago. That's a legacy of slavery. That's the legacy of, of, of targeting. This happens after slavery ends. This is 1898, but you're dealing with the Jim Crow era, which is a continuation of slavery and is, is, is dealing with 
the South taking back control of these state legislatures that were in Republican hands and reversing the, the, the gains, the reversing the advancements that African-Americans were making, and they're using the laws to do this. Okay, read this here from EJI.org, Equal Justice Initiative, Louisiana, disenfranchises black voters and jurors. That was uh, May 12th, 1898. Okay, this is why when I hear people talk about cut the check, cut the check, you haven't studied history enough to understand how to repair the damage of slavery. You haven't studied history enough to understand how to repair the damage of slavery. One of the reasons why you need to study, because see, when you deal with re repairing the damage, to repair means to restore you to a state before the damage or harm was done. Part of reparations, part of the process of repairing the damage is to analyze who African people were and what African people had before we were put into an institution of slavery and before the harm was done. Because we were a whole people, we were people who had our history, our culture, our language, our spiritual systems, our folklore, our names, our family ties, some of us own land. We had a, 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 an African cultural paradigm that we saw reality through. That has largely been stripped in during various periods of time. We may make some advancements in trying to reclaim some of that. And then another period comes back and we get distracted and we regress. And then, you know, we go from Afros to processes and we go backwards and forwards and we're trying to figure all this stuff out. You're largely, you're largely dealing with the people who, who've been taught to hate themselves, who have been stripped of African culture, a European culture has been superimposed upon them. We've been taught to see reality through the eyes of Europeans. We've been stripped of African, we've been tripped, stripped of African spiritual systems. So most African Americans are various forms of Christi, uh, Christianity. And you're largely dealing with the people who've been taught to hate themselves. And you think repairing the damage is giving money to brain damage people who've been taught to hate themselves? No, this is why you got a part of repairing the damage is understand who African people were and what we had that was taken away from us. I've said before, if we all got a million dollars a day, white people will have it all back by this time next week. I mean, we, we go to conferences every year to talk about how we spend 97% of our dollars with people that don't look like us. What, what do you think going to happen if we just get some real money? Cash payments can be part of a overall, overall comprehensive repairing the damage process which is going to be a generation of repairing the damage it's not going to be one bill it's going to be a generation of repairing the damage but you got to understand the type of damage that was done and what happened after slavery ended because what happened after slavery and this is this is a direct connection between where we are today and what happened after slavery ended the failing of reconstruction the 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 uh, freedman's bank failing in 1874 the U.S. Bureau of Freedmen, Refugees, and Abandoned Lands, properly man improperly managed, not correctly funded, and then uh, the Jim Crow laws and, and the reversal of all of these, uh, uh, the, the the reversal of the progress we were making, and then the theft of land, the, the one being locked out of massive land giveaways, largely 
Homestead Act of 1862, which gave away about 270 million acres of land for over 100 years. The Southern Homestead Act of 1866, which gave away about 45 million acres of land. The Dawes Allotment Act of 1887, which gave away about 138 million acres of land. Two thirds of that land was supposed to go to African-Americans. Well, the majority of that land, I should say, was supposed to go to African-Americans and uh, black Indians, Native Americans, black Indians. White people got two, white people got two thirds of that land. The Dawes Allotment Act. So in some of these land giveaways, and we know that the Black Freedmen Indian Treaties of 1866, the Dawes Allotment Act of 1887, some um, African Americans who were members of Native American nations, the Choctaw, Chickasaw, Creek, Cherokee, and Seminole Indians, Seminole Indians, we know some of them are going to get some land, but some of them are going to lose that land also, going to be taken back. Then we look at African American farmers. We've lost about 92% of our uh, African-American farmers have lost about 92% of their land over the past 100 years. Um, 1910, we own somewhere between 16 million to 20 million acres of land, depending upon which study you look at. All right. And we had about a million African-American farmers 100 years ago. Today, we have somewhere around 45,000. So you look at all this, the, the massive amounts of land that we lost and things like that. OK, but you study this history from 1865 to now and see what happened to us. So you have to have a comprehensive repairing of the damage, just giving cash payments to a brain damaged people who've largely been taught to hate themselves. I'm telling you right now, most people know if we got a million dollars a day. White people have it all back. But this time next week. And you haven't changed the laws and policies that are still in place that are still inflicting harm upon us and have now distributed wealth, power and resources. You look at the study from Citigroup Bank. You look at the study from Citigroup Bank uh, from September 2020, OK, which deals with how the U.S. economy has lost 16 trillion dollars. Um, it's lost 16 trillion dollars over the past 20 years. And then they go through and break down what that's from. And it deals with um, a history of discrimination, African-Americans being locked out of getting loans to start businesses, uh, being uh, getting uh, locked out of getting uh, funding to go to college. Uh, let me see. U.S. economy lost 16 trillion in 20 years. That's CBS News. I did a I did a uh, a broadcast dealing with this. It did now it, it so see this is a legacy of slavery. So all these people running around, all these Republicans and and, and these and these in these Negroes who love them and who participate in white supremacy through ventriloquism and say racism doesn't exist and all things like this, right? This study contradicts that. Racism has cost the U.S. $16 trillion Citigroup fines. This is from September 23rd, 2020. When you go through and look at this, what they do, what they're dealing with is a legacy of slavery, which is why when we talk about repairing the damage, you also have to deal with laws and policies. Okay, let me close that out. All right. So if we look at this here quickly. 
And, and, and one of the things why this study is so important is it shows how racism negatively impacts everybody in this country. Even though African-Americans, we get the brunt of it, and racism is a system of advantage and privilege distributed based upon race, which comes out of the ideology of European white supremacy for the purpose of preserving genetic white survival, even though that is true, everybody's negatively impacted by this. This study shows this. So when we talk about repairing the damage, we need to present evidence like this, because this shows how we're negatively impacted today based upon what's happened the last 156 years. America could have been $16 trillion richer if not for inequities in education, housing, wages, and business investment between African-Americans and white Americans over the past 20 years. So they ain't talking about 400 years. They're not talking about 156 years. They just look, just look at the last 20 years. They, they looked at from the year 2000 to 2019, 2020. New research concludes. The study, now this came out September 2020. The study released by Citigroup is the latest in a body of research. See, this is, you see, proper documentation ends all conversation. I don't deal with feelings. I'm a researcher. I don't deal with feelings and emotions. We deal with facts and evidence. This study is the latest in a body of research that attempts to quantify the economic impact of systemic racism that many people are in denial of exists in the first place. The reason why they don't want to acknowledge it exists is because they benefit from the maldistribution of wealth pond resources. They don't want to acknowledge it exists. Invoke said, give it up, turn it loose. They don't want to give it up and turn it loose. They benefit from it. A lot of people, some white people, don't mind having a level playing field as long as it's tilted in their direction. Some people don't mind having a level playing field as long as it is tilted in their direction. So this study released by Citigroup is the latest in a body of research that attempts to quantify the economic impact of systemic racism that people like Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina says doesn't exist. Citigroup arrived at a $16 trillion figure after estimating that African-American workers have lost $113 billion in potential wages over the past two decades because they could not get a college degree, those that could not, could not get a college degree, which leads to increased earnings. The housing market lost $218 billion in sales because African-American ap applicants were discriminated against and could not get home loans. About $13 trillion in business revenue never flowed into the economy because African-American entrepreneurs could not get access to bank loans. So what this is showing is a legacy of slavery and Jim Crow segregation, redlining, things like this, but it's showing how this negatively impacts the entire economy and negatively impacts everybody. Then they go on to say, the US could have $5 trillion in gross domestic product 
the GDP increase in, in five trillion in the GDP over the next five years if those gaps and others were closed today. So this is dealing with laws and policies and understanding how all this comes together and impacts earnings, impacts opportunity, impacts the economy. Politics is the legal distribution of scarce wealth, power, and resources, and the writing of laws, statutes, ordinances, amendments, and treaties, their adoption, interpretation, and enforcement. Read the rest of this article. I don't have time to get into it. Racism has cost the U.S. $16 trillion. Citigroup finds this is over 20 years. We're not talking about 400 years. We're not talking about 246 years of slavery. We're talking about from the year 2000 to basically 2020. Okay, now let's go back quickly to Pleasant versus Ferguson, then I have to get out of here. Because this is my second show today. I did Brenda Hill show for 45 minutes before my show started. Background information, Pleasant versus Ferguson. Now we talked about the state starting with Tennessee in 1881, the state segregating railroad cars, public accommodations, things like this. Um, after the compromise of 1877, um, where Rutherford B. Hayes becomes president and removes the, the Republican becomes president and removes the Union troops out of the South, which allows Democrats to consolidate the white supremacists in the South, allows them to consolidate control of state legislatures throughout the region. Um, effectively marking the end of Reconstruction, 1877, the Compromise of 1877. Southern African Americans saw the promise of equality under the law embodied by the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment to the Constitution receding quickly and a return to disenfranchisement and other uh, disadvantages as white supremacy reasserted itself across the South. And they're codifying white supremacy into their state constitutions. As historian C. Van Woodward pointed out in a 1964 article about Plessy versus Ferguson, white and black Southerners mixed relatively freely. See, this is this is why that Reconstruction era is so important. Because see, the the, the way even even when you deal with the the origins of slavery in the thirteen colonies, because as I, as I said on Brendan Hill's show, we talked about sixteen nineteen and eighteen oh eight and August 2016, 19, when that when the um, twenty and odd Africans were exchanged for food, water, and supplies on the White Lion pirate ship, the White Lion pirate ship in Virginia, codified slave laws didn't even exist in any of the thirteen colonies. The first. Of the thirteen, the first of the thirteen British colonies to have codified slave laws is going to be uh, Massachusetts in 1641. They come to Virginia in about 1660, 1661. Those 29 Africans are going to be put into a form of indentured servitude, and after about three or five years, they're going to be released. They go on their own land. Many of them going to be very successful. Codified slave laws didn't even exist then in the in the British colonies. I'm not talking about the Spanish colonies or Portuguese colonies or Dutch colonies. I'm talking about in the British colonies because different, different European nations got involved in slavery at different periods of time. They didn't all just get involved at the same time. No, the Portuguese are the first ones involved in 1441. Then the Spanish were right behind them. Um, 
we see the Spanish setting up, uh, try, attempting to set up a colony in the South Carolina, Georgia area in 1526 and taking Africans into that territory, that area, enslaving them. And there's going to be an uprising and those Africans are going to uh, overthrow their oppressors and disappears. Believe they went to live with Native Americans. This, this is 1526. This is 93 years before 1619. So white and African-American Southerners mixed relatively freely until the 1880s when state legislatures passed the first laws requiring railroads to provide separate cars for Negro or colored passengers. Okay, go back to this. We see starting with Tennessee, 1881, we see these Southern states, these former Confederate states reversing the laws. Okay, 1881, segregation of public transportation, Tennessee segregated railroad cars, 1881, followed by Florida, 1887, Mississippi, 1888, Texas, 1889, Louisiana, 1890. Louisiana is the state that Plessy versus Ferguson comes out of 1892 uh, uh, incident that goes to court and goes to the U.S. Supreme Court 1896. That's in Louisiana. Louisiana segregates uh, public transportation, segregates railroad, car, railroad cars, 1890. All right. Now. So white and black Southerners mixed relatively freely until the 1880s when state legislatures passed the first laws requiring railroads to provide separate cars for Negro or colored passengers. Florida became the first state to mandate segregated railroad cars. Now, I disagree. I think it was, it was Tennessee, 1881. Florida does it in, in um, uh, 1887. Tennessee did it in 1881. Okay, now that's a mistake they have here. Florida did do it in 1887. Tennessee did it in 1881. Followed by Mississippi, Texas, Louisiana, etc. African-American resistance to segregation. Now, as Southern African-Americans witnessed with horror, the dawn of the Jim Crow era, Members of the African-American community in New Orleans decided, decided to mount a resistance because we always fought back. We have a history of fighting back in various ways. We have a history of fighting back. At the heart of, at the, heart of the case that became Plessy versus Ferguson was a law passed in Louisiana in 1890 providing for separate rail, railway carriages for the white and colored races, okay? The, the railroad cars, all right? It stipulated that all passenger railways had to provide these separate cars which should be equal in facilities. So this is 1890 and this is um, eight years before Louisiana rewrites their state constitution, okay? And then they're going to implement the grandfather clause in 1898. This is all Louisiana. 
Homer Adolf Plessy. Homer Adolf Plessy, who agreed to be the plaintiff in the case aimed at testing the law's constitutionality. Now, he was of mixed race, and Homer Adolf Plessy described himself as seven-eighths Caucasian and one-eighth African blood. Quote, he described himself as, quote, seven-eighths Caucasian and one-eighth African blood, end quote. He passed for white. Okay? If, in, in, if, the, if, if he had told the conductor that he was white when he was asked, probably would have let him ride and just say, okay. Now, on June 7th, 1892, Homer Plessy bought a ticket on a train from New Orleans bound for Covington, Louisiana, and he took a vacant seat in a whites-only car a vacant seat in a whites-only car. After refusing to leave the car at the conductor's insistence, he was arrested and jailed. Convicted by a New Orleans court of violating the 1890 law, Homer Plessy filed a petition against the presiding judge, the Honorable John H. Ferguson, claiming that the law violated the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. Now, over the next few years, segregation and uh, black disenfranchisement picked up in the South and was more tolerated by and, and was more tolerated by the North. Congress defeated a bill that would have given federal protection to elections in 1892, because there's always been violence over elections. You're dealing with power. You're dealing with political power. You're dealing with uh, understanding the writing of laws, policies, etc. There's always been political violence, especially when African Americans were voting. There's always been political violence trying to intimidate us, trying to, especially after um, Reconstruction ends. Okay, but even towards the end of Reconstruction, the Hamburg Massacre of uh, 1874, Clinton, Mississippi Massacre, 1875. You go back to 1868, Opelousa, Louisiana Massacre of 1868, all dealing with um, uh, political elections. Uh, you look at the Okoy Massacre of 1920 in Florida, okay? You look at the Wilmington Massacre of 1898, Wilmington, North Carolina, Okay, and they're gonna they're gonna overthrow the uh, democratically elected government. There it was a biracial government in Wilmington, North Carolina. Uh, November tenth was the anniversary of the uh, Wilmington massacre. So when you go through and study a lot of these massacres that take place and these riots and things like this, they're centered around elections and trying to keep us from voting, keep us away from the voter polls. Congress defeated a bill that would have given federal protection to elections in 1892 and nullified a number of restrict, uh, reconstruction laws 
nullify the number of reconstruction laws on the books. Then on May 18th, 1896, the Supreme Court delivered its verdict in Plessy versus Ferguson in declaring uh, separate but equal facilities constitutional on intrastate railroads. Okay, declaring separate but equal facilities constitutional on intrastate railroads. The court ruled that the protections of the 14th Amendment applied only to political and civil rights like voting and jury service, but did not apply to social rights like sitting in the railroad railroad car for of your choice. Okay, the U.S. Supreme Court, May 18, 1896, ruled that the 14th Amendment uh, protections only apply to political and civil rights, but not social rights like railroad car uh, riding in a railroad car, public accommodations, etc. Now, in its ruling, the U.S. Supreme Court denied that segregated railroad cars for African-Americans were necessarily inferior. Uh, Justice Henry Brown uh, wrote, quote, we consider the underlying fallacy of Plessy's argument, quote, to consist, to, uh, to consist in the ass assumption that the enforced separation of the two races stamps the colored race with a badge of inferiority, okay? If this be so, it is not by reason of anything found in the act, but solely because the colored race chooses to put that construction upon it. So he's saying it's really just a figment of our imagination. It's not because the laws are putting you into a subjugated position. It's because you just you just think you're inferior. Therefore, you are. You are. You know. It's, it's just. It's not because of the laws. It's not because of the policies. It's not because of society. It's just a figment of your imagination. Justice Henry Brown wrote, "Quote to consist in the assumption that the enforced separation of the two races." That's is dealing with law, the enforced separate law enforcement, the enforced separation of the two races stamps the colored race with the badge of inferiority. If this be so, it is not by it, it is not by the reason of anything found in the act, but solely because the colored race chooses that construction upon it. It's not because of white supremacy. It's not because state legislatures are codifying white supremacy in their state laws and suppressing African-American votes. It's not because of anything like that. It's just because you just, it's just something wrong with your brain. That's all. It's just a figment of your imagination. Okay. Now alone in the minority was Justice John Marshall Harlan, H-A-R-L-A-N, a former slaveholder from Kentucky. Justice John Marshall Harlan had opposed emancipation and civil rights for freed slaves uh, during the Reconstruction era, but changed his position due to his outrage over the actions of white supremacist groups like the Ku Klux Klan.
Now, Judge Harlan argued in his uh, dissent that segregation ran counter to the constitutional principle of equality under the law. He wrote, quote, the arbitrary separation of citizens on the basis of race while they are on a public highway is a badge of servitude wholly inconsistent with the civil freedom and the equality before the law established by the U.S. Constitution. It cannot be justified upon any legal grounds. It cannot be justified upon any legal grounds. Now, when we look at the significance of Plessy versus Ferguson, the verdict enshrined the, the doctrine of separate but equal as a constitutional justification for segregation, ensuring the survival of the Jim Crow South for the next half century. Now, even though in the ruling it didn't say it didn't actually have the phrase separate but equal. This is what became associated with this ruling. Now, interstate railroads were among many segregated public facilities the verdict sanctioned. Others included buses, hotels, uh, theaters, swimming pools, and schools. Okay, buses, hotels, theaters, swimming pools, and schools. By the time of the 1899 case of Cummings versus uh, the Board of Education, even Justice Harlan appeared to agree that segregated public schools did not violate the Constitution. It would not be until the landmark U.S. Supreme Court case of Brown versus Board of Education in 1954, at the dawn of the Civil Rights Movement, that the majority of the U.S. Supreme Court would essentially concur with Judge Harlan's opinion in Plessy versus Ferguson that it was unconstitutional, that uh, separate but equal is unconstitutional. Writing the majority opinion in the 1954 U.S. Supreme Court case, Chief Justice Earl, or Chief Justice Earl Warren wrote, quote, the doctrine of separate but equal has no place end quote, in public education calling segregated schools, quote unquote, inherently unequal and declaring that the plaintiffs in the Brown case were being deprived of the equal protection of the laws guaranteed by the 14th Amendment. Okay. So check this out at history.com, Plessy versus Ferguson um, at history.com. All right. Okay, be sure to um, register for the uh, 10-week online course I teach on Saturday. It's usually 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. From the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. So we go through and break down a lot of this history, look at some court cases, but we go look at history from the Civil War, 1865 to 1968. And we, we look at history leading up to the Civil War taking place also. So we start in 1803 with the Louisiana Purchase. We look at the Missouri Compromise of 1820, the 
comp uh the compromise of 1850 the mexican-american war of 1846-1848 which leads to the compromise of 1850 taking place uh and we go through and look at this history so each class we go through and analyze approximately a 10-year period of history to see what happened to us after slavery ended the laws and policies put in place to put us in a predicament that we're in today so we understand where we need to go from here also okay so that class is actually on sale. It's regularly $130 right now. It's on sale $50. Next class is uh, this Saturday, 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Just click right here on register here. You register for the class. As soon as you register, you can watch the class uh, we had this past weekend. And the other, we have archived content there. Uh, in class, you can see me. I can't see you. So it's not like a Zoom call for your for your job, for your office or something like that. And we have a live text chat so you can ask questions in class. The other class I teach on Sundays, 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We deal with thousands of years of history, ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Okay, ancient Kemet, one of the original names for Egypt. Uh, ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. We deal with ancient Africa, ancient Egypt, um, Nubia, um, Abyssinia, Ethiopia, uh, Ghana, Songhai, Mali. We deal with the 800 year occupation of Europe by the Africans known as the Moors, all of that. Okay. And from the civil war to the civil rights movement and black power, that basically picks up where understanding the transatlantic slave trade leaves off. All right. Okay. So we posted a link here and it's also at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can register for that. Uh, you can watch from around the world. As soon as you register, you can, um, Start watching the content. Okay. All right, look, we have to get out of here. Remember the African History Network, you focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent. Uh, oh, uh, also, by the way, so we have the, uh, at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, also you'll see the Kwanzaa shop there as well. And this is uh, from Sister Nubia Watford. Uh, who you, you see me interview uh, also. She's an archaeologist, but she has the Kwanzaa shop. Click right here, thekwanzaashop.com. Uh, all your Kwanzaa needs, uh, canaras, candles, um, mats, flags. There's a sale to November 28th, early bird special. Get $10 off, okay? Visit thekwanzashop.com, thekwanzashop.com. We have it right on the homepage of our website, africanhistorynetwork.com, okay? All right, we have to get out of here. Remember the African History Network, you focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world, because right now it's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win, kind of forever. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Peace. All right, thanks for watching. Kwanzaa is coming and thekwanzashop.com has all of your Kwanzaa needs. Order your Kwanzaa set today, which includes a Kanara, candles, a mat, a cup, the African-American flag, and a basket. Visit thekwanzashop.com, thekwanzashop.com. They have Kanara sets, which include a candle holder, candles, a mat, and a cup. 
Kwanzaa is December 26th through January the 1st. Add the early bird discount code for 10% off your order placed before November 28th. Visit thekwanzashop.com and place your order today. Thekwanzashop.com has all of your Kwanzaa needs to celebrate this African-American Pan-African holiday. Thekwanzashop.com Black on Purpose Television Network. Yes, Black on Purpose Television Network. All black, all positive, all the time. The largest black-owned streaming television network in the world. Bringing our people together worldwide. Controlling our messages, our stories, our way. Black TV, the way it should be. Black music, black history, and more. 30 plus channels, thousands of shows. Black on Purpose Television Network, subscribe now. Gain knowledge in minutes from insightful summaries of progressive and socially conscious books. Blacklisted gives you access to curated content that'll satisfy your curiosity to learn and understand different perspectives. Empower yourself through inspirational and actionable ideas. It's easy to read or listen to on the go. Blacklisted. Empower yourself. Start your free trial today.